0: Welcome to the podcast, I'm Brett Tomlinson. My guest this month is Peter Yawitz, class of 1980, and the author of the new book, Flip Flops and Microwave Fish, Navigating the Do's and Don'ts of Workplace Culture. Now Peter has worked as a communication consultant in the corporate world, and he's also the creator of Advice from Someone Else's Dad, which started as a blog and now includes a podcast and video series featuring as the title suggests, advice from someone else's dad. Peter, thank you for joining me.
1: Well thank you, Brett. It's nice to be here.
0: Your your book is essentially a guide for for young professionals who are sort of finding their way in the workplace. But I think much of your guidance can can be helpful to folks at all stages of their careers. So how did this idea come about and why did you think you were the the right person to write about these topics?
1: Well, uh, I agree with you. I think it is valid for other people rather than just young professionals. But the whole idea of advice from someone else's dad came from some of the work that I was doing naturally with some of my corporate clients. Uh, One of the most fun things I get to do every year is to do new hire training for A large number of people who are hired by big investment banks and a couple of years ago I had maybe 600 people in one session and these were international young people and I talked about how to communicate at work and I was talking about some basic things that they needed to know and then I said let's just open it up for questions anything that anyone want to know that uh, that no one has told you and I guess at that point since my seminars are pretty much they're full of information but i try to keep it light and funny people felt comfortable with me so some of the questions initially threw me because i didn't expect them and and the first one that came up was well can i ask you a question what happens when you are with your boss and the boss follows you into the restroom and is in the adjacent stall and continues to talk to you what do you have to do and my thought was well you know sure he wouldn't ask this question if he didn't want to know the answer and I just said all right well let me just tell you something you are no <laughs> obligation to continue continue a conversation you can just say hey can you just give me a moment for, and then we'll talk a little bit later and then that opened it up and people started to laugh and they asked more questions like that the next one i think was what do you do when you are talking to somebody at work and that person is totally hot And of course, you know, with 600 people who were all in their 20s, they just thought this was the funniest thing in the world. And... And then the answer really is, you know, I hadn't prepared for this. I said, listen, we're all human. These things happen. And you know what? These feelings are not going to go away. Uh, But you have to learn that you have to compartmentalize what's professional and what's not professional and increase your listening skills to be able to block out some of the stuff that's distracting no matter what it is. So I started getting more of those questions and I wrote them down and that eventually became the blog and that became advice from someone else's dad. So that's really how that came about.
0: I imagine that both in your professional work and 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 also as as an author, you're sometimes giving advice that, that people don't want to hear. Uh, <laughs> what what is your approach uh, when you know that you're you're giving advice that may be difficult to to follow?
1: I think the the advice that people don't want to hear is where I'm recommending they do something that's out of their comfort zone, and that is often something like, you know what, I know it's really comfortable for you to just text your manager and or text a client, but you know what, get off your ass and talk to somebody <laughs> you know, it's really important to have face-to-face meetings, and I know that's hard for you, and I know that's something you haven't done in college but it's really going to make a big difference in terms of your relationship with people but also in getting information so, th- th- you know, I get a lot of people who are reluctant to do that, even though they, yeah, 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 yeah I know you say that, but mm, I'm not sure I want to do it but I might get a little pushback on that but I think they it's just because it's out of their comfort zone
0: I, I suppose that's a big part of uh, navigating the workplaces is, is kind of figuring out not just what's appropriate but what what you need to do that may be outside of your yeah comfort and zone. I
1: think I think it's really true and I don't want anyone to think well this is only for introverts because introverts are the ones who are shyer and want to just sit Quietly by their computer, but it's really it's really for everyone. And I've got to say that part of it is for managers. I find the one of the biggest troubles at work is, especially for young people, is the lack of communication and lack of validation that they've gotten something right. They think it shows a sign of weakness that they didn't quote get it the first time, and so they might go off trying to do a task where they're not really sure what they're supposed to be doing, but they think they do. And that's gonna cause more steps down the line where they're gonna have to go back and the manager said, well, this is not exactly what I wanted. So uh, uh, an important skill for everyone to master is for the young people to say, I just wanna make sure I got this right and regurgitate whatever notes they've written, and for the manager to make sure if that person is not doing that, the manager says, all right, let me hear back from you what you think the next step should be. So it really is for managers, too, who need to understand that maybe they're not crystal clear about things, and it's it really is that two-way street.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's start at the beginning. Every workplace is different, every, every office environment, but uh, what are some of the sort of universal do's and don'ts? If, if you're a, a new hire or a, a new college graduate, uh, what are some of the universal do's and don'ts of being a good colleague and, and being a good employee?
1: Well, I think, you know, first of all, you should understand what the corporate culture is before you get there. Know the, what your place is and how people get along and how people socialize and how people don't socialize. So I think there is a a kind of a level set to use a bad cliche because I hate using cliches, but it just happened to fly right out of my mouth. Uh, I, I think it's important for them to understand what what is expected of them in the very beginning. But also to... To ask around to see is this how we typically do lunch here? You know if if I'm asked to do something What is the formality or lack of formality that I'm supposed to use in an email? So just really get a sense that you're not coming out as a complete fish out of water Sometimes people will train you but I think it's it's just important to get some advice from people who have been there to say is this the appropriate way of doing things and If you're not if you're not even sure from from a colleague just certainly ask someone, find a mentor, find a manager who can help you navigate through some of the stuff that makes you uncomfortable.
0: Go, going back to, to cliches and, and jargon, you, you do write about that and I, I suppose that makes sense given your, your background in communication. Why is it so bad to, to slip into business speak and, and how does one uh, avoid that?
1: I'm not totally anti-business speak the problem is uh, When people use phrases that really don't mean anything and and then the young people use it because the senior people are using it And they want to suck up to the senior people I think my first job out of business school I was working with a team and my boss is, my boss loved to use the phrase de minimis which just means a little bit and you know he'd say de minimis de minimis improvement this month in this market And then the suck-ups would say, well, you know what, Uh, I think de minimis improvement here too. And I just want to bang my head against the table. Like, why can't everyone just say plain speaking, like, just a little bit? So, you know, why do you have to use de minimis? Why can't you use something simple? And another funny one is that when people use this phrase, go after the low-hanging fruit, which people use in business to me and go for the easy attainable business. And it's just, you know, if you want to use it fine, just know that it's overused. The, when I've talked to people who have grow up, grown up on farms, they say the problem with going after the low-hanging fruit is that fruit has usually been gnawed on by animals, so it's the worst stuff that you want to take. So I'm not going to correct anyone's We have to go with low-hanging fruit, and I'm not going to say, you made a mistake, that's not what you really mean, because that's all rotten fruit. <laughs> But actually, you know, some of the some of the ones drive me crazy are the ones that are grammatically incorrect. One of them I've I've heard recently is let's action this. And, you know, I just go into convulsions when I hear that. And I want to say, listen, everybody, action is not now, nor will it ever be a verb. You can take action. You can act upon something, but you can't action something. I can't I can't action my foot. I can't action a piece of paper. It just doesn't work that way.
0: On the same note, probably not a good idea to come into a new job and start correcting people's uh, grammar. But uh, in yeah, your I role, I guess you can pull it off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. When I talk to other people, they like, say, I work with someone, or you know, my boss says this, you know, bad grammar. And and I said, I, I just want to correct, but I know I can't. And I said, that's what's great about being a consultant. I can say whatever I want to people. <laughs> and I'm still going to get paid as long as I'm not insulting them. I just want to say, you know what, let me just tell you, just remind you about this Uh, you know, how to to say this, because I don't want anyone to think less of you if you're not saying it or writing it correctly. I I live by three rules. I I live by the laws of the land and the Constitution, by the way. Uh, Number two is the golden rule. I believe that you should treat others the way you want them to treat you. And the third is uh, the rules of grammar. But but that's just me.
0: (laughs) On on a related note, when people aren't uh, meeting face to face or speaking on the phone, they're going to be communicating by email or, or, or messaging messaging platforms like Slack. Uh, what are the key adjustments that uh, young folks need to to make when they start composing written communication in an office environment versus you know personal or, or, or social communication?
1: Well, I think that's a good question, and again, the first answer I have to say is it really depends on the context of the company. If it's a very informal company and people use Slack all the time, and I think it's a great way of communicating, that's fine. Just remember that – actually, back to this concept of rules. I don't have uh, another rule, but I do call this the one email rule or one email guideline is – don't, fin- don't send an email where the next email is going to come back saying, I don't get it, or what, or when, or why. So I would just be complete about how you email something. And when you text, you tend to not put a lot of information in. I'm not to say, not to say that you have to do an email with tons of information. If you have tons of information, you should lay it out in enumerated form. But I just don't want to say something like, uh, I think it's a very bad idea to meet with Joe and hit send. Because the email comes right back and says... Why? Uh, so you, that violates the one email rule. Also saying something like a bad idea is such a negative way of doing things. It's easy to criticize. That's a bad idea. I hate your shirt, Brett. Uh, <laughs> and I can't even see you, but I know I don't like it. I hate your shirt, Brett. It's, uh, it's like maybe this shirt, I think this shirt might be more appropriate in a party situation in, in at work, perhaps you might want to wear a, a collared shirt. Uh so saying this is a bad idea to meet with Joe you could say I don't think we should meet with Joe until we complete our first round of the project would would get you around that uh violation of the one email rule. Mm-hmm. Okay. What kind of shirt are you wearing
0: Brett? <laughs> <laughs> it does have a collar. Yes. Oh, I'm glad. It's very very plain blue shirt. I did not wear my uh, football jersey to uh, <laughs> to work today. Hey, um, on a podcast, you can wear anything. <laughs>
1: Someone actually, actually emailed me the other day to ask if I'd be on her podcast, and she said, and you can wear flip-flops because
0: you, <laughs> you can't see it. The, the um, communication advice, it, does the same sort of thing apply for social media? How do you suggest people manage their... Twitter accounts or their Instagram, can you continue to to rant and rave about the New York Knicks and post a bunch of cat memes, or, or do you have to kind of switch to private accounts when you start an off? I'm looking at Brett job? Tomlinson. Oh yeah, oh, no. there's
1: your cat. Oh yeah, very <laughs> cute. I like what you had for dinner last night. Uh, I think you're. I, I'm not a, a big social media guy, but I. I think it's fine if you want to have it on your private account, but make it private. I mean, or make it make it personal. So don't don't include anything about work. Don't post anything about work. Don't say anything about your boss or this great event you had at work, because that great event at work was sponsored by your job, and let let your job post about that. I, I just think that social media should be, if you have social media, make it uh, an account. If you're an entrepreneur, make an account that is business, and then if you want to share your cat memes, do it in your own private thing and, and make it private and share it with your friends. And and maybe they'll share them back with you, and you can just have a big old cat day. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I've i had to ramp up my social media just because my audience is younger and they tend to look at Instagram. But I don't want. I, I want to show that that there's something fun and informative about things that I put on my at someone else's dad account. So I will do some funny memes, but there's usually some lesson as part of it. I don't want to just do little platitudes or you know today is the best day of the rest of your life because even though it might be, uh, you know, it's just not me. So, I mean, I'm a nice guy and everything. I, I want you to think that I do. <laughs> I recommend nice things, but mine is a little bit. Uh, I don't know, more accessible and fun. I would hope.
0: It sounds like the same idea of compartmentalizing uh, that, yeah. that you mentioned earlier.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just also I don't find my life interesting enough for anyone to care what I had for dinner last night. <laughs> <laughs> but do you want to know what I had for dinner? Last night? <laughs> Not
0: particularly. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> highly. <laughs> no offense. Um, you, you mentioned meeting with new hires and yeah. uh, and uh, their concerns. What do uh, managers kind of get wrong about this this generation of uh, of folks coming into the workforce? What what do they need to do a better job of uh, in in sort of helping folks along?
1: I think that's a great question, and I I'll just say personally, uh, the other night I was at a, a dinner party on New Year's, and a lot of you know old fogies like me, you know, okay, boomer a bunch of people were just saying, you know, they are all these young people want this and they want shorter hours and they want to have a better life. And I, you know, for me who just wrote this book and I also as a friend, I wanted to say, but, you know, and they just kept complaining. And I really, as I said before, I think it, it's something that, previous generations had to adapt to to the next generation all the way through in terms of new technology, in terms of how people get work done. And just because this new generation is so much more tech savvy than the previous generation, and, and also social media savvy, meaning that they see what their friends are doing, it makes them stand up for themselves a little bit more about this is the kind of life that I want, the kind of work that I want. And I just think that there, it's the managers have to recognize. All right, I need work done. I can't. I'm just gonna not gonna agree to every demand that you have, but perhaps there are different ways of working, and perhaps you could you can demonstrate trust by saying, this is what our goal is together. We have to achieve this for a project or for a client, or we're working on toward this goal. So this is what we are doing collectively i don't care how you get there but these are the tasks that i need you to do by a certain date so that'll it help me so i can show, show a rationale why i'm doing something and their role in it and i think young people what i've heard and what i've experienced is that they want to feel that they're a part of something bigger they don't want to be just task rabbits and i just think that all my friends who were complaining the other day listen they can complain but what are they doing to to change i think my job is to work with the young people to say, "All right, there's certain conventions about working with the old folks, but the old folks have to to think about, all right, what skills do they have that might help us, and make sure that they understand what the big picture is and they're part of it."
0: I think our listeners are getting a nice sampling of the topics uh, in your book, and I wanted to ask about one of the more serious subjects, which is difficult conversations that that are a, yeah. a, a natural part of. Uh, of, of your career, uh, thing, mm-hmm. things like at some point you may want to ask for a raise or mm-hmm. a promotion and you, you may be going into that conversation without a lot of information about uh, what your colleagues uh, are being paid and, and how your salary compares, uh, things like that. How do you suggest people prepare for that process and, and kind of uh, get into the right mindset to, uh, to have those conversations?
1: It also depends on your organization. If you're working for a large company that has very specific lockstep dates and metrics about when you're gonna get a promotion or a raise, I think you have to respect that. I even remember, I mean, just I'm not evading, evading your question, but I remember what my first job, I found out that I was the lowest paid associate because I was shocked that people actually started to compare. And, and I went into my boss and I said, I just found out that I'm doing the same work and i maybe I'm a year younger than some of the other people, but I'm the lowest paid one. And he said, thank you for telling me that information. It, uh, it's something that I'll take into account when we do our reviews every six months. And I I have to say that I respected that because there are some rules in place and they had to follow through on that The other thing that I found now uh, If I'm talking to young people it as I said I was a little bit shocked that people were sharing how much money they made now People know very quickly how much other people are making and people just ask Uh, Not that they're posting it on social media But I think friends know what other people are making and certainly colleagues would too so I think that if there is a rationale for you to feel that your raise is warranted because you are doing something or adding to the bottom line or really going beyond what you what you feel you are being paid for, I think it is not a bad idea to ask for a raise in a, in a company that might accept that. But I would certainly have enough backup to prove that rather than just saying, well, I feel I need a raise or because your parents are saying you should be paid more money and that you – know, you know, it gives you an incentive to want to wanna ask. I think it's important to write down s- some things that you've done, how you've saved the company money, how you've made the company money, what you've done to make things more efficient. And rather than saying, I know my friend is making this, there are websites that, that tell you where you should be and if you think legitimately you were unpaid by by those type of metrics or those standards and you feel that you have done enough and haven't been compensated for it i think it's a fair way of doing it but i would never do it in i would have your preparation in writing but i would want to make sure that you had a face-to-face conversation with your manager for that
0: thinking back to your own experience when you were coming out of princeton uh and and beginning your first job What's the advice that you wish uh, someone had given you back then?
1: Well, uh, I think uh, it's an advice I give a lot of people is, remember, this is not going to be your only job. The first job you're getting, it does not define you. This does not mean you're going to be stuck in this industry for the rest of your life. So do you know, take develop skills Learn what you can from it and not to take advantage of anybody, but recognize that if you are unhappy, all right, this is just a part of a journey that you're going through. Stick it out for a while and, and develop skills because whatever, you're, you're always going to develop something that's going to help you in the next job. And this is actually, this is comes, comes up a lot is when people want to change sectors or change jobs entirely. Uh, and people say, well, I could never do that because I've only worked in retail. But well, what skills have you developed working in retail that you could transfer to consulting, for instance? Well, is it good listening skills? Is it good analytical skills? So you want to be able to sell some of those successes that you've had based on the skills you've developed that you can translate to a different type of job. Just because you worked behind the counter at, at Sephora doesn't mean that you're stuck selling perfume for the rest of your life or makeup. Uh, it means that you have you have good customer service skills or you're able to demonstrate how you were able to increase sales by understanding a customer. So just know that even though you might be unhappy, there are things you are definitely learning about. And In fact, maybe it's also just learning about the environment that you're in. And I don't want to be in this environment. I don't want to work for a big company or I don't want to be in a two person organization. So I guess that's my long winded way of saying don't be so very focused in the very first couple of years because life is long.
0: Good advice. Where did you start doing, Brett? <laughs> I started in consulting uh, for. Uh, oh, yeah. What what is now uh, Accenture. So, uh, been many oh, years ago. Oh, that's great. Uh, but I'll tell you another it, thing. It I was mean, not a great fit for me, my, but, but it is for many people. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. And and same with my very many first jobs before I went to business school because I thought I was just a bunch of dead end jobs. But on my podcast, I've interviewed a couple of people who are in non for profits and And I've asked what what skills are you looking for?" Because I think, again, a lot of young people come out of college and they want to do something that is for the better for the betterment of the world. And one guy, uh, particularly, he's actually a Princeton grad, and he said, "I just find that the people who have grown up in nonprofits, and he's, you know, this is overgeneralization. He said they are lacking some basic skills that, that people develop by working for a place like Accenture. They can't write very well, they are don't do well in project management. So he said, I look to hire people who have been in the private sector for a while, who develop some great skills, because now I can rely on them to get work done. So again, even if you're coming out of college and you know I wanna do something that's good, I don't want to say suck it up and work for a consulting firm, but I mean, you could be an example too, Brett. I mean, you worked for a consulting firm, you knew it wasn't right for you, but I'm sure you developed some skills that you found have been valuable for you in other parts of your career. Definitely, definitely have. Like talking to
0: me. I mean, uh, (laughs) you sound so professional. I do my best. Well, (laughs) Peter, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Brett. It's been a pleasure
1: speaking to you and to uh, the larger Princeton community.
0: Peter Yawitz's book is called Flip Flops and Microwave Fish, Navigating the Do's and Don'ts of Workplace Culture. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. You can find us by searching for Princeton Alumni Weekly on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. You can also find transcripts of all podcast episodes on our website. Pa.princeton.edu. This episode was recorded by Daniel Kearns at the Princeton Broadcast Studio. The music is licensed from First Com Music.